talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. From time immemorial, there have been events that have changed the course of human history forever. The Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and of course, the series finale of Quantum Leap. But as we all know, the most important event in history was undoubtedly the premiere of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman on September 12th, 1993. For without Lois and Clark, the modern day utopian society in which we all reside and thrive would simply cease to exist. This month on All-Star Superfan Podcast, we celebrate and pay tribute to the series that made us all ask, Why? Why would you cut your hair, Terry Hatcher? I am Alan Burke, and I am joined on this journey to 1990s Metropolis by a team of hand-picked experts, each chosen for their unique set of Superman-related skills and talents. First, we have my co-host Rob O'Connor, whose experience lies in his unbridled knowledge of a goofy 90s superhero sitcom, that still fills his soul with childlike wonder. How are you tonight, Rob? Real smooth. Uh, that was excellent. <laughs> Alan, that was up there with the best intros we've ever had on this show. <laughs> so congratulations. I'm super psyched. I'm so excited about the guests we have, the discussion we're going to have, and to just gush over this show that I love so much. So yeah, really, really excited. Yeah, same here, buddy. Uh, secondly, we are joined once again by the host of Los and Clark and always hold on to DC Legends of Tomorrow, Mr. Matt Truex, wide, widely known as Warner Brothers' own Indiana Jones. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Widely known. Uh, thank you. I, I truly, I have been so jazzed for this all week. I've just been like watching random episodes in the mornings and stuff <laughs> and doing a bunch of art for it. Like you guys got me in the mood for this. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. And lastly, we are joined on this journey by first-time guest, Mr. Craig Byrne, Editor-in-Chief of CryptonSite.com. Craig has been covering Superman stories since 2001, and his continuing dedication has kept Superman fans fully informed for over two decades. Welcome to All-Star Superfan, Craig. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm Like Matt, I am super excited for this. Um, I've caught myself whistling the theme song most <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like you said matt we're, this is this is going to be a great chat we all love the show uh all-star superfan came about when myself and rob appeared on your show first and then you know on, on to on, we decided to do our own podcast and we've spoken about that at nauseam previously but yeah we're it's it's been 30 years guys it's crazy i mean and myself and alan are kind of going to get into our own fandom next week when we talk to uh some some fans closer to home closer to where we live but this week we want to hear from uh first of all craig you were actually well we were all there at the time but you were kind of instrumental in the fan movement that surrounded lois and clark at the time it was actually coming out i was wondering can you just take us back to to that what like when did you first find out about the show and how did you first interact with it and how did it all kind of take off well, I first, I mean, my first real interaction with the show, besides seeing photos and like Wizard Magazine of this show that's <laughs> about, to, um, was watching the pilot the night it aired. And it was, it was kind of tough at the time because it's like, am I going to watch Lois and Clark or am I going to watch Sequest? And I can only tape one. And 
stupid me taped Sequest, and then I didn't get to watch the Lois and Clark pilot again for months until they re-aired it. But uh, I still remember the night watching the first episode, and I mean, this is like a very 1990s situation to be in, but I had my own phone line that was down in the basement of my house. And this is relevant because there was a phone in the Daily Planet offices that sounded just like mine. And every time it rang, started running downstairs, which was ridiculous. (laughs) But what I loved watching, you know, like the Lois and Clark pilot, you know, when we started is, I mean, I just feel like I could, you know, you could identify with, you know, being an outsider. You could definitely see why Clark liked Lois so much. Mm. Um, I thought there were very strong performances. I mean, McKenna. I loved Cat Grant, Lane Smith, Michael Landis is still my favorite Jimmy. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only I thought I was the only one. It's like a Millhouse moment. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the first night I was ever on the internet was the night that Madame X, the season two premiere, aired. And I was on Prodigy, and Prodigy had these little message boards. And like every post is like what happened to Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> and like all these, you know, the same questions, but also it felt like when season two started, there was a little bit of a decline in quality because, you know, Deborah Joy Levine, the original developer mm. and creator of the show, wasn't around anymore. The Daily Planet looked different because it blew up in season one finale. Spoiler warning. Um, but um, then around, you know, I mean, the fandom really just started to grow the latter half of season two. Like, well, I mean, we had Seasons Greetings, which, you know, we got that Lois and Clark moment at the end. And then, yeah. you, know, w- you know, we had Clark asking her on a date. Was was it Clark asking her on a date in the Phoenix, Matt? Yes. Phoenix, yeah. So, you know, we had that. And then we had, you know, Tempest Fugitive, Wine, Wine, Wine. We had you know, a bunch of great episodes and a great finale. And, you know, left with the question of, Lois, will you marry me? And it so... I, a friend of mine and I, who was around my same age, we were the young ones back then, go figure, started a online newsletter called the Krypton Club Newsletter. And we would send this out like five days a week, you know, every weekday. And it started the week that I graduated high school. And this went on for, you know, quite a while. And then when Lois Clark ended, we decided to do an online fan fiction fifth season of the show. Amazing. I've read some of those. <laughs> and I don't know if they were that great. I, I know the person who wrote our season premiere ended up writing for Degrassi later in life. Wow. <laughs> so there's that. But, um, and also it was very interesting being one of the younger fans because I remember when season four was airing, you know, the, the, I, I feel like every fandom has its own like little groupings and it was harder to get into little groupings back mm. then, but there was the group that still loved the show. And then there was like us younger fans who are like, yeah, the show's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was definitely conflict back then. But I mean, we had like, there was like a lowest call listserv um, where, you know, you'd get like collect- collected emails about the show every day. And, you know, you could respond. Um, there were Usenet news groups. I feel like most most of the discussion was on AOL's message boards on America Online. And I think season three or four is when, when ABC launched their own, like, Lois and Clark section. Keyword, Lois and Clark, or something mm-hmm. like 
And I remember they did like a virtual like wedding party for Lois and Clark. So I guess it was season three. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is the era where Terry Hatcher was the most downloaded person on the Internet. Amazing. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. So that those were my personal experiences with it. And I mean, because I was so young, I was like obsessed. Like I was, you know, when I wasn't watching the show or talking about the show, I was writing fan fiction or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like it was a fun experience and, you know, it was fun to interact with a lot of people. And we had a few uh, fan gatherings which is kind of cool. I know they did the famous folk fests in LA. I did not get to go to those. That, that, fol- I, folk, for anyone who doesn't know, is fan of Lois and Clark. Isn't that right? Oh, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> I, hadn't heard I never heard that before. I remember I just posted about this on Facebook. Somehow, dot, 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 I got a copy of the Lois and Clark season three premiere a month early with Ooh. unfinished. And... I remember the day that it came, I watched it like a bunch of times. Then I made my dad watch it with me. And then I made a friend of mine down the street watch it with me because we used to watch Lois and Clark. (laughs) And then my friend Dan and I would go into the Lois and Clark chat room on AOL and start reciting dialogue from the episode. Nobody knew. (laughs) So that was a fun time, too. That would not fly. I mean, a lawyer would be on the phone with me if I did that now. (laughs) Amazing. It's it's funny you should bring that up, actually. We had our Superman Lives episode recently. I was on Twitter recently, and the guy who uploaded the Kevin Smith Superman Lives script in the 90s still has a copy of the cease and desist letter that Warner Brothers sent to him in the mail. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. They They literally wrote to this guy in the mail to tell him to take this down off the internet they were just <laughs> so behind it's amazing that's his red badge of courage now too like that, that that's amazing <laughs> oh and and obviously this this guy is now like a, a writer for some show or whatever like he's you know he's gone on to good things in his life yeah i think the statute of limitations has yeah. run out on that one <laughs> i remember in september 1995 the night we have a lot to talk about aired i remember i got a. Uh, instant message i was forgetting what they were called because i'm old got an instant message on aol from uh lois and clark producer jim michaels hey where do you get your spoilers from and you know just wanting to try to suss it out and i of course didn't tell him but years later i was on a set visit to supernatural and jim michaels was there and i finally told him you know what happened (laughs) So many decades later, and it, it wasn't like a it wasn't like a Woodward and Bernstein situation where you're beating some deep throat in the uh, in the parking lot late at night or something. <laughs> you know, I feel like we didn't. Weirdly enough, even though it would have been easier to do probably back then, I don't feel like we had leaks in the same way that we have leaks about TV and movies today. Like, there were some weeks I don't even think we got trailers for Lois and Clark episodes, mm, yeah. and. You know, you didn't get like photo galleries for every episode before they aired. And like, even if you go into the archive now, and I'm sure you have now, Matt, at least, um, there are complete episodes where there are no stills released at all. And it's just, it was a very different time. And, you know, um, but it was, um, it was kind of a more united time too, because it's like, if Terry Hatcher was going to be on the cover of TV Guide that week, everybody had to buy it. Yeah. Like, Mm. Eventually, I don't know how I got it, but 
there was a great TV guide from Canada from season four. She had the short hair, but it looked like it didn't just say Noah, so it wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so I that was a great cover, and somehow I got a hold of that one. But, I mean, it just was like, you know, stuff was hard to come by back then. And it's, it's interesting now when you hear people talk about it, you know, publicly, whether, you know, I mean, the, the brief moments Terry has talked about it or – you know, people Matt have had on his podcast, you know, it's, it's interesting. And Craig, didn't you, you visited the sets at the time the show was still in production. Am I right in saying that? Yes. I went into the daily planet, um, Clark's apartment, Lois's apartment with the big fish tank. That, that, that sounds crazy. That's uh, as, as like a 15 year old, like, oh my God, that was like my dream would have been to do that. I would dream about it like every day. This was like the best time of my life, which is ironic because like now when I go on the set, the first two questions are, do you have Wi-Fi and where's Crafty? <laughs> which is <crazy. laughs> uh, But um, is the front of the Kent farmhouse still in the Warner Brothers lot? Uh, yes, it is. It's it's It was used um, as a, a gypsy's uh, garage in Gilmore Girls too back in the day. So it's it's still... It's still a part of it there. It faces a parking lot, doesn't it? Uh, not not faces, but it's it's towards the edge of that little uh, small okay. little town there. Okay, yeah. Um, so when I was a teenager, I also got to know an actor named James Best, who was Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane on the show. The oh Duke. my god, yeah. And um, he invited me to visit when they were filming the first Dukes of Hazard reunion movie when Smallville was still on the air. Oh yeah. I got to hang out with you know them and you know do that i met john schneider who was another jonathan kent the first time but the thing that made it really funny is when i was wandering the lot i ran into eddie jones holy shit oh my god it was in the smallville section of the lot which made it even funnier so it's like you know two jonathan kents in one day and i knew an assistant on smallville or on smallville on lois and clark who told me where they were filming Lois and Clark so that, you know, maybe if I wanted to wander over there after I was done with Dukes for the day, I could try to get in. And I was wandering the lot for like an hour and I didn't know I couldn't find them. And uh, <laughs> while I'm wandering the lot, John Schneider finds me. He's like, what are you still doing here? <laughs> it's like a little embarrassing. Sorry, dad. But it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's interesting because Lois and Clark Smallville was used in a number of other shows like Gilmore Girls, which you mentioned already. Um, there was a show called Sisters that filmed there back then. Uh, Dukes of Hazard, obviously their town square was there. And I think if you watch the Smallville sections of Lois and Clark, you'll see the Growing Pains house on the corner. Okay. So, mm -hmm. Pretty cool. But I would probably only know that if, you know, from going to the lot when I was a teenager. Because I wasn't a cool tour guide like Matt was. <laughs> and Matt, you, I mean, you work at Warner Brothers now. Like, what is it like 30 years later walking around these, you know, these these exterior sets for the Daily Planet and stuff, knowing that it had such an integral part of your youth? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, that is, this show is probably almost directly why I work where I work, why I want to work there. Um, there's not a, 
not a not a visit to the lot that goes by that if I get to drive by the Daily Planet, I won't put the theme on or at least sing it to myself on on the on the car radio for a second. Um, uh, yeah, I, I it, it's it is secretly thrilling to me every time I I get to go by those buildings and 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 kind of be in in walk walk those walk those streets again, you know. And does it ever kind of take some of the magic away from the show when you rewatch it, kind of going, oh, I know what's really in front of that house or I know what's in that window? Or no, I, you know. I love that stuff. Like, like it, it, if if anyone's listened to my podcast, like I, I so get off on the production, you know, yeah. stuff and just knowing that like, Actually, the outside of Costmart was also the outside of uh, the Metropolis Hotel and Star Labs, and they just shot this <laughs> on the other side of the corner. Like that, all that stuff is so exciting to me. Like uh, many of us employees, when we park on the lot, we park in the parking lot where, like, he got exposed to red kryptonite and things like you know. It's it's like all these little dumb things that that nobody else could or should care about because they're they're going about their work. It 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 feels like it feels like being in a place like like. Craig, the fact that you were in the Daily Planet set, like the bullpen, the apartment, all that blows my mind because I've done so much like artwork and stuff to just kind of recreate those little things for myself. But being being on that lot and being like near the Daily Planet or Smallville or whatever it is, is is the closest I'll ever get to that. And it's it's just thrilling. Can I ask, Matt, because this literally happened in the last couple of weeks there was some kind of listing on an auction site for this miniature model that they were going oh. to use for the exterior of the Daily Planet as a miniature, and it was going to be a full skyscraper of that building. And apparently there was this huge plan that they were going to build all these scale miniatures for the whole of Metropolis. I'd never heard this before. And they, they were thinking of like... No, that was your find too. And and like you sent me that and I, I started drooling. I, I blew my mind. I wish it had the little globe on the on the front of it too you know when i saw that um, i was like yeah no that was super cool so apparently they were going to build all these scale miniatures and all this and then th they decided that it was going to be too expensive to light them i guess or they, they weren't going to be able to do it justice i was kind of like guys go back and watch Lois and clark they did loads of special effects <laughs> that didn't work just use these <laughs> miniatures anyway you know like find a but it does find a place to use them Sorry, in season one, there are a few shots where, like, the little, you know, two-story or whatever facade of the day planet is expanded on. Mm. And it makes me wonder, like, is that them shooting those models Possibly. and using that to expand it? Because, like, uh, otherwise, it's not going to be a, a, you know, a CG reproduction back then. Maybe a matte shot or something, but or a matte painting, I should say. But it seems like they would have used those models. I don't know. Craig, did you hear anything about that, Craig? No, I. this is all news to me. Um, what I was going to say, though, is one thing that also blows my mind is I know there are some shots, especially in season one, where you can see some of the office buildings near the Warner Brothers lot. Mm. In this, You can see those same buildings from the building where I currently live. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, as a 15-year-old or whatever watching the premiere, I would have never guessed I would live so close to you know all that and i was also going to point out that um it just hit me after the fact that perry white's office was a very very tiny oh wow i would look it it was it was like a closet don't touch my elvis box <laughs> that, that's that's why it was so small there was so much room taken up by the elvis box 
So, so Matt, you're the only one who who saw it, who kind of discovered it a little bit later. How did that come yes, about? Yes, I'm the late bloomer. Um, <laughs> I, how did it come about? Uh, oh, my parents showed me my first James Bond film. That's a little film called Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, I was I was eight when it came out, or seven, whenever that movie came out, and uh, I liked the uh, innocent sex lady in that movie, who's played by uh, one Miss Terry Hatcher. And as they realized that they had a nerd on their hands, I hadn't really gotten into Superman at all, but I was a big Batman fan. And they're like, oh, the the lady from James Bond is in the Superman show. You should watch it. And that was kind of the the start of it. It it had just recently started playing um, on TNT over here, just in reruns every Mm -hmm. morning. And it was was a summer, and all of a sudden, the Superman show was probably in the middle. I don't know what my first episode was, but it was probably in the middle of season two when I think back at it. Um, and then I just like every day that summer was about Lois and Clark. And then it, it just continued on into the, the school year where like mom and I would watch the, the teaser in the morning and then we'd videotape the rest of it to watch it after homework at night. And like, it just like, it was always there for a couple years of my life and it just imprinted on me so fully and so quickly, but also like kind of to, to the point you guys were asking, um, Craig earlier. I, as far as I knew, I was the only person in the world that knew about this show. You know, like <laughs> some adults I knew knew about it. Nobody in my my peer group was watching this or or gave a shit about it at all. You know, um, so it was very much just for me. And it wasn't until it wasn't until Krypton site, honestly, that I started realizing like, oh, people know about this. You know, like th- this is a thing. It's like when Smallville started, like people understood, and it, in fact. The only reason I knew what Smallville was when I first saw the ads for it was I'm like, oh, that's where Superman landed. Lois and Clark taught me that. Like, okay, this is a Superman thing. But yeah, it, it was it was very much my own thing. Um, my, my parents had some awareness of it. My mom would watch some of it with me, but it was it was just ten year old Matt just freaking out about yeah. this show. I I uh, I, I don't want to kind of take because we'll we'll go into this in more detail next week but definitely my experience of it was it was really popular like everybody was watching it my babysitter was watching it my mom watched <laughs> it my mom loved michael landis by the way and when when he left so did she um like <laughs> you know it was appointment viewing everyone was coming into school talking about it like it was literally oh when are they going to get married like it was a whole thing you know like it was I remember it being this huge thing that everybody watched and everybody talked about. And I also, and again, we'll get into this next week. I feel like it was marketed towards a more children family audience over here compared to the US where they were trying to present it as this like steamy, sexy show for adults. Whereas here it was like, no, no, it's Superman. Like it was literally called the new adventures of Superman for the first year or two before they just reverted to the the US title, you know. Do you, th- do you think, Rob, that has something to do with the fact that it kind of played on Saturday mornings on, on BBC or ITV or whatever channel at the time on Live and Kicking and stuff? Yeah, that maybe... probably, yeah. Like it, it, so it was, on, it was on Saturday mornings on BBC One as part of Live and Kicking, which was like a kid's <clears throat> cartoon block. And then I think they yeah. showed the mm-hmm. new episodes on Saturday evening and then definitely on the Irish channel RT2, which was called Network 2 at the time, they showed it on saturday kind of it, it would have been like six or seven in the evening so it was yeah, just late enough right. that it was like it was like a cool evening show but it wasn't too late that you had to go to bed yeah and i remember after that then, and they're not giving up prime time real estate yeah to it either yeah 
uh like it was after that then the robocop show if anybody remembers that that was on after that i do yeah and there was there was kind of a string of and uh, the robin hood show that had the guy from the really shitty robin hood show i forget what that was called that was also on kind of in a <laughs> like a similar time around it so i have so many memories just kind of wrapped up in all of that well we'll get into that more of that next week but i just like it definitely feels like it had this huge audience in the uk and, and we're not the uk but in in sort of europe in general like it, it feels like it was as much of an event here as it was maybe in the states I don't that's know. it's it's so strange hearing you say that because i mean when when it aired here in 93 i would have been uh, nine maybe 10 by the time it aired here and i really didn't get that feeling at all mm. myself personally i mean i don't remember kind of anybody else of of that kind of age yeah, uh, watching it, I remember a couple of um, uh, articles about it in in magazines and stuff. And then when it when it ended in ninety seven, um, and I was really upset, even though the quality had fallen, and I even knew at the time the quality had fallen. Um, I was <laughs> really, really viscerally upset that the show was was gone. Yeah. Um, but I I remember just there being nothing really about it after. I'm that gonna, for I'm a gonna long long. I'm time. gonna stop you there, Alan. There was a two page spread in the RTE guide, which is our national TV guide, with with a Terry Hatcher interview talking about the end of Lois and Clark. That's how. Oh, like, wow. In 1997, like it was a you know, so uh, yeah, wow. yeah, so yeah. But you know what I think, and I want to get into this with you guys. I think a big. I mentioned my babysitter and my mother there. I th- I think that was the secret sauce for this show that like maybe the Flash mm-hmm. the, the John Wesley ship Flash didn't really get a hold of Nightman certainly didn't get a hold of later on in the nineties and a lot of other superhero shows have fallen by the wayside because they forgot about the girls and the gays and I think that was a huge thing that this show did differently that they they picked a star because there was girls queuing around the office where they were auditioning because they recognized Dean Kane from mm-hmm. 90210. And, you know, and, and it was a love story. You know, I, I think there was all these elements to it that weren't in a lot of other superhero stuff. And it brought in a whole, an entirely different audience that maybe would usually come to these. What do you guys think? Do you think there's any truth to that? Or It's interesting to me that you say that because, like, my mom did not like the show. Oh, cool. Because she thought, she thought Lois was too mean to Clark all the time. But I saw it as <laughs> flirty banter. So, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I, I would say back then the fandom was probably at least 60% female, if Mm. not more. Um, you know, the online fandom that had developed maybe more than that, but, um, you know, do you think that was older women, Craig, more so than say kind of teenage girls and kind of girls in their twenties? It was a kind of adult kind of like married women and stuff. Do you think more so? A lot of adult married women who probably are still posting on the zoom way boards. (laughs) Or no fan fiction of Lois and Clark. They called yeah. it back then, which meant naughty fic, I think. Do, do, right. do, do, okay. Just to flag everybody, by the way, that I, I, I wrote Lois and Clark fan fiction back in the day. I did not write that kind of Lois and Clark fan fiction. <laughs> you still have time, sir. You still have, still time. have time. For anyone interested in my absolutely dreadful uh, prose, I will post links in the show notes to Lex Luthor, <laughs> Clone of Steel, I believe was one of them. And uh, yeah, there was a wow. th- there was a few there was some really real stinkers out there that I wrote when I was like twelve. So check those out. Sorry, uh, continue, Craig. I'll have to send you a link to when we did our fifth season. A uh, friend and I co-wrote a two-parter where Tempest and Lex team up. I remember that one, baby. <laughs> I've read that one. <laughs> kind of a ripoff of 
the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation and that Tempest goes back in time to the pilot to make sure Clark and Lois don't ever meet. I love it. Part two takes place five years later and had the, I th- I still think it was one of my favorite like episode titles we did. It was called Past and Present Danger. Ooh, you know, like, very good. But, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's cringe stuff in there, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, and ultimately, you know, doing our fifth season of fan fiction was fun. So you can find that if you Google the unaired fifth season, if anybody is curious. Or Tufts for short, if I remember correctly. <laughs> That's what it was. I did have a question for you when Tufts. you were talking about experiences watching the show. First off, did they call it the New Adventures of Superman on the screen, or did, was it still the Lois and Clark logo? In season, to the best of my knowledge, in season one, they absolutely did call it that on the screen, and it had a different logo. And I think you can find that on YouTube somewhere. And oh wow! And the, wow. The, there was tie-in novels that I've only found out recently only yes. came out here. I have one of them called Deadly Games, written by Michael Jan Friedman, who is an accomplished Star Trek uh, author and stuff like that. But he wrote that he wrote one of them, and it, it does just say that. New Adventures of Superman on it. Um, but as far as I'm... I definitely remember, like, this, either the second or the third season, I think they reverted to just calling it Lois and Clark on the screen. That they stopped... Now, it was still listed in the, like, in the TV listings, it was still called the New Adventures of Superman, but they definitely brought in the logo at that stage. They They just stopped changing it, basically. And are you aware that you all got a longer version of the Lois and Clark pilot than we did? Somebody, I think Stuart told us that. Yeah, Stuart, a friend of the show, Stuart Mulrane, mentioned that there's a whole thing with a bike or something that isn't in... Sorry, you you might know more about this, Craig, do you? I I think there are a few scenes in the beginning where uh, the very first thing we see in the uh, UK version is Lois taking off like a fake goatee and Jimmy's helping her. And then, you know, they congratulate her. Whereas for us, the first shot was Lois coming out from under a newspaper. Okay. Oh, wow. In fact, when we did that fan fiction, I incorporated some of those quote unquote deleted scenes into the story to kind of, you know, make it flow more. But the other thing, do you guys, I'm sure you do know, actually, you all got the final three episodes before we did. No, I didn't know that. Wow. When ABC canceled Lois and Clark in May 1997, they still had three episodes left to air. And, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have file sharing or any of that. So we had to wait until like June to watch those episodes. Amazing. That's 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 pretty much unheard of. Um, I mean, the, the, the gap isn't as wide now with TV shows, but back then the gap could be years between America mm. and here. Um, Matt, I have a question for you. Um. I was just wondering, I mean, whether you, you want it or not, you kind of have the legacy now of being the host of the definitive Lois and Clark podcast. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, it, it was years after the show that you started uh, Lois and Clark, the new podcast, The Superman. Were you, were you surprised by the kind of the fan reaction to the show? Like, you know, people getting in contact with you? Were you like, did you learn suddenly that there was a lot more fans of the show than you initially thought when you started? Or how did it feel as that went on? Yeah, absolutely. I did not see, uh, um, uh, what should I say? I, I did not see kind of like uh, peers of mine, people of my same age, you guys like kind of yeah. coming out of the woodwork when we, when we started <laughs> that podcast. Um, and that's that was like the biggest gift that 
doing that podcast for many years gave me um, was was getting to know people like you, getting to know Craig better. Um, I did not see it coming just because it was such a solitary thing for me as a kid. Yeah. Um, I knew there were fans of it. I was, of course, on like um, the the um, Krypton site pages, the, uh, the other forums that are out there for it. Um, so I knew that there was there was interest, and I knew that like quote unquote older fans uh, might be into it if they could deal with what these young twenty something assholes were saying about their show that they loved. <laughs> um, but no, I, I was so happy to find people like yourselves, people like uh, Christine Bartolucci, who was a guest mm. on my show for many times, um, and then like people in my real life that knew about it and and kind of liked it or at least had you know vague fond memories of it. Um, yeah, completely had no idea that that was coming and just like, it started as a fun thing to do, uh, with my friend at the time and then morphed into this, this weird little passion project that I, I was so grateful for and gave me actual friends. Like I, I didn't see that coming at all. Amazing. You know, and we, we, we haven't mentioned the fact that, and this is a, a thing I love bringing up tens of millions of people watch this every week. <laughs> like it's, you know. A, go- a show nowadays is a hit if it gets 3 million viewers. 21 million people watched Tempest Fugitive. And How many yeah, watched that's... Smart Kids? <laughs> 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 but no, I get what you're saying, but that feels like it's it. It's interesting to me that we were talking about like um, the time slot for it. Um, uh, and, and also like that it, it was kids, uh, you know, at school that were talking about it in ireland where it was over here you know at, at least from craig's experiences it was it was uh it was the married women for the most you know you know it, yeah. it was it was a different demographic yeah. and for me it's like well maybe if it was marketed a little bit more to kids then there would be people a, a step or two above me um age-wise that would have been into it um but then by the time like kind of my generation found it if they did at all it was in reruns and it was this past thing so it was just you know you were me reacting to a relic rather than something that was culturally uh happening at the time let me let me ask both of you guys this i'll I'll ask you first craig what do you think it is about lois and clark that they really really got right that they nailed in the show I think, and I said this in the book that Ed Gross recently published, Voices from Krypton, the thing that I love is that Dean Cain's Clark was a good guy, even if he wasn't Superman. Like, in the opening moments of the pilot, you know, he stops the bus, but he takes the time to talk to the old woman in the theater, for example. Like, mm-hmm. Superman cares about people. I love that his Superman had this, ex- or, you know, his Clark had this experience of traveling the world before he worked at the Daily Planet. Hallelujah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um no, I love I think the supporting cast was all strong. I mean, like Lane Smith, Kay Callen, Eddie Jones, like the the heart of the family. I mean, this was really I mean, I know Superboy happened, but this was really the first like post crisis comic book, you know, yes. Superman adaptation. Yeah, and yeah. the the first one largely where the parents, you know, well they stayed alive the whole entire series which I don't know if that's happened since, but um, I, um, you know, there was, there was the family aspect, but there were, there was definitely the romance aspect and, you know, people rooting for the two to get together. Um, There were strong villain characters. 
sometimes goofy guys and sometimes <laughs> sometimes we get spencer spencer but you know i'm gonna bring a big surprise when we get to the goofy guys yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah it just um and i think it inspired like at least for me and probably other you know young viewers it inspired creativity i mean mm. you know even like you know with what matt was saying you know being a 10 year old watching reruns now he's drawing like these diagrams of how to build a time machine so you know even as adults it inspires us but yeah i think that's the legacy of the show too is just yeah. and it was especially season one when you know had that kind of like art deco look the way that they would dress lois was just so stylish and you know so yeah, yeah. i mm-hmm. think it had a lot and also i love that it was a show about superman that wasn't overly reliant on special effects. Mm. Like you had the way that Dean would just like lift his cape and whoosh away, but it worked. You know, you don't need this $8 million an episode to make a good show. No. And I do think there were some good writers on the show and good directors on the show from time to time. Sometimes not. We get ghosts, but you know, but yeah, I think that's, I hope that answers your question. I, uh, Absolutely. I just want to say, Craig, the reason I shouted hallelujah there was that Clark traveling around the world is like, what? Like, literally no other version other than the post-crisis comics have adapted that. Like, even Smallville. Like, the roadmap was right there, ready to go. And even they didn't do hmm. it. And even Man of Steel. Like, it's in the trailer and they didn't do it. He just walks around Canada a little bit. It's like, why have we not done that What are you since? talking about? He tended bar in that fishing yeah, town. I don't understand. <laughs> it's such, it's such, and Superman Birthright, my favorite comics reboot, like they just went to town on that whole thing of Mark Wade. You know, it's one of my favorite things that Lois and Clark, and we don't even see him do it. He just refers to it a lot. That, oh, here's a trick I learned in, you know, Papa, well, Papa New Guinea with these yeah. pava leaves or whatever. You know, some of it's maybe a bit problematic, but it's really... It's just it just builds the world out of how this guy could understand humanity so well, despite you know growing up in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Like it's such a great uh, idea, and it and it again it makes sense that he would then become a journalist. I just I really really gravitate towards that idea specifically, and they've never done it really at all since Lois and Clark, and it's one of the things I love about the show. Sorry, Matt, take it away. It speaks to what you no. It speaks to what what you were saying, Craig, too, about the the humanity of a character. Mm. He is a good guy. He wants to know about other people. Yes. He wants to know about the world, and and it is so easy for him to have those experiences, like literally just flying around and dealing with you know, like that. It, it's just such a. It seems like such a simple, uh, obvious move to make for the character that is at his core such a humanitarian and just so. Um, so appreciative of what other people have to offer, and and well, not that, not that, to discredit a series that I absolutely love, like a human person that lives and breeds. But Superman standing <laughs> in the Fortress of Solitude for twelve years and being lectured by Jor-El, it's just it it's yeah. the reason that I will always this this version will always be definitive for me in a way that the movies are not. Mm-hmm. You know, as like um, well, Matt, let me ask. Let me ask you the the inverse to the to the question I asked Craig. Where do you think the Ooh. show kind of came off the rails, or where do you think that things started <laughs> to go wrong with the show? How much time do you have? Uh, um, <laughs> I I I think they. Yeah, I've said many times my favorite run of the show is like early season three, where they're they're 
together, they're not together, they're whatever. Like the, she's adjusting to knowing that he is Superman and and what life like that is. They go right from that to engaged to married, but not really married because it's a clone. And like the, the fact that they they had this sweet spot mm. and it's some of my favorite episodes of the whole thing. And then it's torpedoed and I, 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 the ratings kind of reflect this too. Yeah. Not kind of, they do reflect this where it's like, they get through a fake wedding that they built up and shouldn't have built up. And then she's got fucking amnesia forever. And then they try to get it back with some cool new Krypton stuff yeah. and a real marriage in the next season. But by then the deed was kind of done, you know? Yeah. Um, and I do think that there are some great things in season four, but for the most part, the real, the real steam, uh, the, the real dramatic kind of tension of it was gone by then, Yeah. which on one hand, I love because I'm like, I, I I think you can make a very interesting show about these two very interesting characters in a happy marriage, not by threatening their marriage. You know, like I, I, Superman and Lois being an example of that. But the, the way that they had just kind of like plowed through story there and then kind of, I think, lost the thread of what they were trying to do in general. Um, that was that was the beginning of the end, which is a shame because yeah. like it was it was at a true kind of crescendo point uh creatively and ratings wise in like early season three and then just goes back down craig i think you've got a very different take on this well i i just remember one of my favorite lines and i hope i've got it right from i think it was in we we have a lot to talk about where perry's like mary don't you think you should try dating first <laughs> yeah. try dating first <laughs> yeah because them dating could have been so cute to watch on tv like you know them mm-hmm. out to a- kids are talking and clark gives freeze breath so the people yeah. move or something like that. You know what I mean? Just something fun. But um, I remember, so I was on set for Lois and Clark for the episode. What was the name of the episode with the shrinking? It's a small, that small I was world, world after all. Small, It's small world it's small, after small all. Small world yeah. Terry Hatcher's one, wasn't it? Completely skipped my brain. So I was on set for that episode, and I overheard Terry complaining about the frog clone arc, which was still airing at the time. Wow. Like, and ABC wanted to stretch it even more. But I'll tell you, though, being on set for that episode and seeing Lois, like, remembering who she is and everything felt time. Because not only did this clone frog amnesia arc run too long, but we had long breaks in between episodes. I think Mm. three months to finish. Oh, wow. I think that was the beginning of the downfall. And then when they finally got married, we had... Myrtle Beach, the wedding destroyer, which I'm surprised mm. my goofy guys list might have to change that. I, can I just <laughs> can I just mention? You know, everybody always brings up the, the clone and the frogs and the amnesia and all that. The, the actual Lex Luthor part of that arc is incredible. It's one of the best 100%. Lex Luthor things ever in any medium. Like it's, and I always forget how good it actually is. It's the stuff yeah. that comes immediately afterwards with that dickhead dr Dieter, and they just drag it out for another two episodes and <laughs> but you're I, like, oh let me die but i think it was it was the betrayal of the fans really when when you know they this was the wedding it was going to be the yeah. wedding this is what you were waiting for and then they slapped us in the face and then they kind of just expected you to come back for more afterwards and fans i think kate callan even said it on on your podcast matt that you know they couldn't expect fans to check back in after that or to care after mm-hmm. that point you know, two yeah, they once, kind of burned you know, the bridge totally. Yeah, 
right before that episode the i now pronounce you aired abc did run a promo like there were great marriages and couples in the world like charles and die uh bert and lonnie and michael and lisa marie and they were all couples that had recently divorced (laughs) (laughs) oh god big bait and switch and i think a lot of fans felt kind of betrayed at the moment and all general audiences definitely did because you know this was a this was a question i wanted to ask you both we we all know uh or for anyone who doesn't know deborah joy levine or levine claims that in her series bible in her head she wasn't going to have lois and clark get together romantically at all until season five and then obviously she left in season one and they were constantly in a battle to keep the ratings high um, after that. You know, is it a thing that maybe a lot of the things we love about the show, the escalation of the romance, the marriage, everything else, you know, did all of that just happen because they were trying to, you know, boost the ratings all the time? And so what I'm trying to say is, is it is it for better and for worse maybe that... You know, they were constantly in this battle. And maybe if the show had been successful, it could have been a Smallville situation where it just stayed the same for too long and dragged on far longer. That do, do you know what I'm trying to get out here? Like, is it is it nearly better that it was yeah. ju- just this truncated roller coaster of emotions for four years? For me, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I am, as a fan, uh, I've never met the woman. I had no idea what she's like in real life. I, I am very thankful to Deborah Joy as a fan for putting the emphasis on... Lois. Yeah. I think that like starting the show off like that, having it be this title meant that that it's it's a two-hander essentially. And yes, they they start focusing more on super stuff later, but like they always have to kind of um respect and and have some focus on the two of them. For me, I like when the show gets a little weirder and gets going after she left. Now, she might have gotten to some of that as well. Like I I, I don't know. Um, but I'm not I'm I think I'm a uh, slightly different from other fans of this whereas like season 1 isn't the be all end all for me. Mm-hmm. I like it later on. Um which is not to disrespect what she did or or how she left the show or whatever, but it's just like I for me it, I am happy that like if we're only going to get four seasons of this I love that half of it she doesn't know and half of it she does yes. and like you know we have our story problems that happen on either side of that we have hair issues throughout but <laughs> we do kind of get the whole the whole scope of them from meeting to kids suddenly you know yeah where 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 are you at in terms of that Craig like are you happy that it was just this short and sweet thing or would you have liked it to be kind of well, I do feel that, like, when I remember when season two premiered, it became a lot more like a Superman show yeah. for a couple of weeks. And I think they realized that the audience wasn't really completely looking for that mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Those were some pretty good episodes, but the audience was reacting to the romance stuff. And it's like, again, I remember when Phoenix aired and, you know, you had them, you know, I felt like from that point on, when they started building up the romance, I think I said this earlier in the podcast today, it's like the show got better and the ratings started going up, up and up. It's like, this is what they needed. The only, like, I think if, I mean, I love Deborah Joy Levine's first season, but I don't think audiences would have had the patience to wait four or five Mm. to get together. I think the time they got together was perfect. I think 
They got they did get engaged way too fast. They did not need to. I think they if they had just stretched it out so they were like dating for like one or two seasons before getting engaged. Yeah. Like in and the answer is when he proposes, they had barely been seeing each other romantically. You know, it'd been like three episodes. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And so I think that was kind of a mistake. But also we have to consider the um network and studio politics at the time. ABC did not seem interested in a fifth season because they wanted Sundays to go to the wonderful world of Disney. So ABC would have likely ended up canceling it anyway, because moving to Saturday did not work. So I think there were a lot of factors. And then Terry got pregnant. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, they could have written that into the show, but yeah, I don't Plus, know. Matt, Matt, if it had gone on for 10 seasons, you would have to have done 10 seasons of the podcast. I Yeah, I'd be pulling my hair out right now. It, it's, it's one of those, like, of course we would have watched it. We would have loved yeah. it. We would have had our opinions or not about it. But it's but as of what we got, I'm, I am not complaining. Like, like one, la- one last question, just just a hypothetical speculative stuff. Um, the fact that they got engaged so quickly... You know, we've talked about, you know, wouldn't it have been much better if they dated a little while and all that kind of stuff. Family show, 1990s, network television. They're not having sex until they get married. Thoughts? I think it's really stupid. Yeah, I like... (laughs) Mark was a very patient man. No, no, my Um, my point is, is that why they expedited that? Because they knew they weren't going to be able to do any sex type stuff until they were actually married. I mean, they did the Dance of the Seven Veils as practically sex, but (laughs) (laughs) rushed it was probably because DC Comics also had a like go or get off the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And they had planned to get Lois and Clark married in the comics that week and they wanted to do it across all media. Yes. You know, Superman, the wedding album came out the same week as swear to God, this time we're not kidding. So I feel like that might have been the reason it was. But also the fans were so angry about the bait and switch. The audience was that I think ABC and Warner Brothers were like, well, we better just actually get them married. Yeah. I don't think the shows from them being married. I mean, I think there there were some pretty cute plots, but I do think the show suffered from forgetting that Clark had a secret identity that he still had to hide from Perry and Jimmy. It's like they. (laughs) Yeah with the secret identity once Lois knew for the most part. And that that was kind of a bummer because those were so fun. Like, oh, I got to go pick up my cheese of the month order, you know, that sort of thing. I think, Matt, you made a good point that has never really left my brain ever since you made it, which is that in season four, they sort of lost interest in Lois and it becomes the Clark show in a big way. And it's it's very much Clark is great. Yeah. And it's Superman all the time. And, and Lois really becomes that supporting character that she is in so many of the previous versions of superman um you know does that bother Mm -hmm. you watching season is that one of the big reasons that detracts for season four of you absolutely um the the they do start steering away from her and i don't think that i noticed it really until doing the podcast um and just watching them all in order but but they start focusing more on on him and the wonders weirdly enough that is like star reporter clark kent and it's like she's yeah. lois lane you know like she should in in my mind she should always be ahead of him mm. career wise um so yeah that 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 totally bothers me um to go back to your oh, yes. your other question too i f- about like whether whether we avoid well we get him 
uh, married so that we can avoid premarital sex or whatever. I'm like, if if they were actively kind of courting the kid audience that they seemed to know to market to overseas when it was on here, I would think that yeah. might be a part of it. Whereas like here, it's like they're they're trying to market and make the show sexy. <laughs> Have them fuck, you know, like that 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 is bizarre to me. Um, and it doesn't seem to be. I was thinking too. I'm like, well, maybe it's some sort of like mm. DC dictate or whatever. But like, there's a not not an issue in Smallville, not an issue in other movies or whatnot. So like, I I don't see why it would. But have remember, been an issue. remember as well, Smallville's not a net, not a major network the same way ABC and you know. No, but it's still yeah. it's still a major character. But like, I I think those 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 rules yeah, would yeah. still pretty much apply, or the same rules would apply. Is is Clark a virgin in the comics of that era up until he marries Lois, or is it ever addressed? Probably not, considering they're they're definitely him towards kids. No, there's a thinker. I'm, I love that we're in this conversation, by the way. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna <laughs> say, and Michael Bailey is screaming at his podcast mic once again. I'm gonna say that's never addressed in post crisis <laughs> comics. Anyway. De- oh, Craig is oh, a hand up. Enters a Superman five oh five when he comes back from the dead. There's a scene where Clark is with Lois and there are clearly some clothes on the floor as if they had just. Mm, oh, interesting. Good. That's my memory. And that okay. was before they were married. So okay. that's how I remember it, at least. I'm pretty sure they were doing it in the comics. For, for any for any fans of visionary director Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, by the way, there was a big thing going into that movie. Because Zack Snyder was like, oh, yeah, we envisioned Clark as being not a virgin at, 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 the, at the point we meet him in the movie as an adult. He isn't, he's not a virgin. So he goes, before he ever becomes Superman, he's he's gotten down. So I, I, I get the impression that the, the lady that he winks at in the um, in the bar he's working at, not the Superman 2 diner, but the bar, I, I think it's implied that he's gotten along famously with that woman. Oh, this is the strangest go. conversation we've ever had. <laughs> that, why did Zack Snyder feel the need to say that? Because like, he's got I a vision understand. and he's a visionary director and that's what that's what his vision was. Sorry guys. Before we move on to our before we move on to our top five favorites and 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 those topics, um, will we talk a little bit about the the kind of the legacy of the show thirty years later and and where it stands in the pantheon of other Superman projects and films and TV shows? Rob, where where do you think it stands at the moment, kind of in twenty twenty three, or how do you think it's viewed? Uh, I. By modern audiences, I uh, and I think this is this will lead nicely onto the next topic. Um, <laughs> I think those who were there at the time still appreciate it for what it was. I think there is quite a large contingent of people who maybe don't feel like it's served what they look for in a Superman product, which is you know action, special effects, uh, comic book accuracy, like a lot of those things are there if you look for them, but they're, they're not there to the same extent that they are in Smallville or Superman and Lois or these other shows or the, or the movies. Um, and I think a larger part of maybe why people aren't going back and rediscovering it is the elephant in the room or, or maybe, in fact, the fox in the room. Uh, and I, I, don't want to spend, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but <laughs> I, I, think, I think it must be addressed because I feel like so many times when I say, oh, Lois and Clark, it's the best version of Superman ever. People kind of look at you like, well, how, hold on a second. Isn't that the one with, you know? Um, so I, I just want to get your guys' take on it first. I'll, gi- I'll give my sort of soapbox in a second. But 
Craig, I suppose with for you, first of all, you know, you were there at the time. You, you've probably met the man, have you? Oh yeah, I've met him several times. Um, he was always pleasant to me. Mm. Um, last time I saw him, he shared some of his views that I don't necessarily agree with, but he was still being nice to me. I actually ran into Dean once at Panda Express. No, he wasn't working there. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's time to continue talking to me after he paid, which I appreciated. Um, but uh, I think it depends if the audience can kind of separate the actor from the show. And, you know, Smallville audiences have the same situation yep. with the Chloe character. I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm John Schneider, by the what way. What happened? Yeah. Can you watch Chloe without thinking of what Allison Mack did? I feel like if you can watch Lois and Clark and separate what Clark is from what Dean Cain became, mm -hmm. it's still a great show because he did a good job. Like, I get very annoyed when I see people on like Twitter or whatever. It's like, Dean Cain is a shitty actor or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, Allison Clark was good. And yeah. I, but I mean, I I admit when I watch Lois and Clark myself now, like uh, the Meet John Doe episode, I think it is. Lois makes a line: "Superman doesn't get mm -hmm. involved in partisan politics." Yeah, that stuff makes me laugh now. But um, I'm sure, there are people who wouldn't <laughs> check it out because of that aspect. But I think it's also a, just an access issue. I mean, it's here in the states. Uh, the show is on Max. I still want to call it HBO Max, but. Um, you have to look for it. You know what I mean? It's not going to be the first thing that pops up. And I know I have a friend that I showed Lois and Clark for the first time, maybe like two years ago, who was born in 1994. So he definitely wasn't around when the show was on. He says it's his favorite version he's seen. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. He really likes, you know, the aspects we've talked about the show about, you know, how well Lois is. I mean, Terry is still my favorite Lois. Sorry to everyone else. Same. Um, just because she was so determined, um, so experienced, so revered. Um, I really like those aspects. And then the aspect of Clark that we talked about, how he's just like a good man. He does what he does because it's the right thing to do. And um, I think that makes for a great hero. But I do think it's just mostly an aspect of people not having access because between i mean matt can correct me on this but between the tnt run which was very well promoted their promos for the show were amazing in 97 mm -hmm. between then and when lois and clark got onto streaming all we had was dvds i think yeah. it wasn't owned regularly and so it would have fallen out of the public consciousness also we had 10 years of smallville during that time so fans yes. were watching that for their superman fix i mean i think if anything i mean people might discover the show now like for example like when terry hatcher goes to comic con cosplaying mm. as low as you know like what was that and you know obviously people who have seen terry since on like desperate housewives or something like that might have had the same experience matt had with tomorrow never dies where it's like hey did you know she was and then they see this great show unless it's a season four episode so i, I think that might be that might answer your question matt where where are you at in going back to that elephant in the room and i know it's something you've had to grapple with time and time again on your show like where where are you at at this moment in time with all of that <laughs> it's uh as a f fan of the show when you say like oh that's my favorite list of clock ever i mean you know 
I'm not a fan of the people, but you know, like it, it, you, you do just to, to, to get along in life. Like I do feel like I need to qualify. Like I, I, am aware yeah. of the issue, you know, but, um, but I, I do, especially when I did the podcast, like I, I try to focus on the, the, not let the one bad apple ruin the bunch. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and same thing. We're, but he was, he is one actor who's obviously very prominent in the show, playing two parts, if you didn't know. But his personality is not what the show is about. And and for me, that that is enough of a distance that I, I still enjoy the show very much. It's, it's my ultimate comfort food it is it is my happy place you know well do you know what i i i was gonna go on a big thing but you've you've basically a big part of it for me is you know i work on tv shows myself now n- not to the same scale i don't work with actors i i mainly work on reality shows but you know so much work goes into these things behind the scenes you have writers producers directors so many people doing so many different things before the talent ever sets foot on set in front of a camera and to think that one person can drag all of that down to the point where people won't even go near it, you know, that that breaks my heart in a way that, you know, something that maybe I create and I put so much time and work in and then someone comes along and says, oh, well, because that person that you worked with said this thing, then I'm not going to watch it at all. That, that's where, you know, it, it becomes a bit more of a problem for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, do not mistake me saying that as saying that we shouldn't, acknowledge what this person has done wrong I, th- I think we absolutely should and he's done a lot wrong and he's said a lot wrong and I think it is right that you know a lot of people take issue with those things I just think as you said his personality in real life is not the show that is a separate entity and it it's you know I think it's a complex argument the art versus the artist and all that sort of stuff but I think it's a it's a worthy argument worth having and all I would say w- with anything, you know, mm-hmm. just take into account the hundreds of people. The same with, you know, The Flash just recently or Arrow, you know, Stephen Amell now, uh, everything, Smallville, anything, James Bond, Sean Connery, whatever. Like, th- there's so many examples of this throughout time that, like, we can't let this one <coughs> linchpin crack the whole diamond, you know, that kind of way. Alan, do you have any more thoughts on that? Because I know we've, we've kind of butted yep. heads on this in the past as well. I, I just love Team Kane. I think he's right in everything he says. No, um, no. Look, I spoke at length with Matt on an episode of, of Lois and Clark. Um, uh, funnily enough, we, we had to speak at length about Dean because it was the episode titled Superman, which is about the cryogenically frozen Nazis coming back and Nazis taking over the Daily Planet. And there's basically a scene... And fascism he, in the United States. I yeah, like, is that the one where someone literally says America yeah, can be chip, great again? Chip... Chip comes in and, and basically gives the, uh, yeah, American, uh, you know, let's make America great again line yeah. and Lois and Clark look at each other. So like we would have done the audience to Matt's podcast a disservice by not talking about it. Um, I met Dean a few times. I really liked him in person. He was really nice to me and my wife. Um, Rob, you've made the, the point before that it's, you know, that's a certain situation where you're paying someone for an encounter for a few minutes of their time. Um, I remember at the Comic-Con where I met him in Dublin, he didn't charge me for his autographs. He's a big supporter of law enforcement. Obviously, I'm a detective. You know, I appreciate that in a person. But even since then, since I met him, since we've had this conversation before, Rob, since I've spoken with Matt about it, 
he just really comes across as a dick. And, um, he, you know, it's the, the, there's been things there posted and tweeted that even I, someone who, compared to you, Rob, would be a little bit more conservative, I think, in, in my views. Not, not I'm not right-wing or anything like that, but kind of, you know, center of left or whatever. Um, but even I can't defend, to be fair, to be honest. And I... I hope it doesn't hurt the show. I think it has. I think, I think most people don't really care. Like if I if I if I said to someone kind of of my peer group, you know, who's Dean Kane, they probably wouldn't even know. I think the reason the show has kind of fallen by the wayside <laughs> is more so, unless they saw you know Santa Paul Seven or whatever he did. <laughs> um, but like, the dog I, I think Craig Easter. made it. Yeah, I th- I think Craig made a great point. I think the legacy of the show it was this hot hit show in the nineties. That kind of slipped into obscurity because it wasn't available for a yeah. long time. Even to get the DVDs wasn't, you know, it was very hard to get the DVDs. They weren't in abundance, especially over this side of the water. You know, I, I managed to pick them up eventually. Um, you couldn't get it on streaming. It wasn't on Netflix. It wasn't on anything over here. Smallville came in four years after it was cancelled. And that hung around for way too long. And I just, yeah, I think it just, it, it fell through the cracks over time. And I, I, I was, I was hoping, I still haven't seen it um, streamed and remastered and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was kind of hoping it would be rediscovered. You know, I, I loved seeing uh, Dean cast in Supergirl when that first came out and seeing Terry appear in Supergirl. And then they were completely omitted from the crisis uh, event, which has to solely be put down to Dean has to be there's no other reason that they weren't invited back i would imagine um i still think the scene where we had earth 75 and lois is crying over a dead superman they should just put the person in dean kane costume and have terry be the this morning (laughs) but i found crazy is the supergirl season two finale had both terry and dean in it and they shared together also that episode aired in the 20 year anniversary of the day that lois and clark was canceled wow so it's just been such a treat to see like and also it would have made sense if jeremiah danvers had helped take down her queen Rhea character or whatever yeah. her name was on supergirl season two and jeremiah danvers there's a scene i believe it's in season two where it's a flashback scene and it's it's him meeting martian manhunter for the first time and they're they, they sort of have this interaction in a jungle or something like that and he's talking to him and he's trying to appeal to him and and it's mm-hmm. it's before he turned evil or whatever like that and he's playing Clark Kent in that scene like he's playing 90s Clark Kent and I, I remember watching that thinking man he's back this is amazing and this is before all the other stuff happened and you know if yeah. if nothing else that's that was the return of Clark Kent for me that as in 1990s Clark Kent I was really really glad that at least that exists because every, every all of his other appearances in that show they were either too scattershot or too kind of oh, well, he's turned evil and betrayed Kara or whatever the storyline was. I can't mm. really remember. But that scene in particular, well, I just remember that really, really being really great. They had the opportunity to make him Cyborg Superman, which would have been kind of fun. Yeah. Because we could have got the Superman suit again. Yeah. Kind of like how we Leslie ship mm. as the Flash again, which still amazes me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, will we talk about our top fives, Rob? Let's do it. Yes. Which will we go with first? Will we start with episodes, moments, or uh, or bad guys? Matt, you've done this so many times. <laughs> what would you like to start with? Matt, well, yeah, would you <laughs> would you like to host for a minute, Matt? Get back into the chair of nineties Metropolis. <laughs> I'm sure, guys. Can I yeah, can I ask sure. you guys some questions? <laughs> um, okay, so um, who are your favorite goofy guys? And I will re- defer to Rob to to correct me if I'm wrong here, but. 
I believe a goofy guy is a one to two episode villain that is not like a Lex Luthor or something is is a villain that pops up and bothers them for a week or and two. And it can't is have that, is that any fair to say? origins in the comic books at all. It is a solely original Lois and Clark creation. Oh, so it, it, it can't be Mr. Mix's Piddlick. It can't be okay, Metallo. It can't be the Toy Man. It has to be a completely original Lois and Clark right. villain. And okay. and sorry the the term goofy the term goofy guys came <laughs> when myself and my girlfriend were watching Lois and Clark really really drunk at like one o'clock in the morning one time and I made the point that sounds beautiful you, you yeah. know is so lucky I, I was like you know they never really fight supervillains in this show they just fight goofy guys and that's where goofy guys came from I love it. So, Rob, do you want to go first, maybe? Uh, okay. Uh, my best goofy guys, uh, one, two, three, four, five. They are all from season two onwards. <laughs> the first one is Lenny the Soundman Stoke, uh, played by Michael Desbarras. Was the oh, who was that the the bad guy yeah, from the... MacGyver? I believe he was also in MacGyver with he... Terry Hatcher. Yeah, remember the the Wall of Sound episode, Matt? He was the Wall rock star. of Sound. Okay. Try to penetrate yep. my wall of sound. Um, okay, thank you. I reached I reached out to him on Twitter one time and asked him if he had a master of that song anywhere so that I could listen to it. And he said that uh, he barely remembered it. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> um, my second goofy, my second favorite goofy guy is Diana Stride, played by the lovely Raquel Welch. Absolutely, have to concur with that. Uh, I'm pretty sure I watched that episode when I was six, and I knew for a fact that I definitely liked girls after seeing that one. <laughs> uh, next up, we have now. This is technically maybe I'm breaking my own rule here because he's tangentially connected to a comic book character, Jackson Xavier, uh, Lex Luthor's son. <laughs> uh, he's just a completely over the top, goofy 1990s representation of a computer hacker. He creates a virtual reality world in an episode called Virtually Destroyed, written by Dean Cain. And it just, it's just so incredible, that episode. It, it contains... The prophet Dean Cain, yes. <laughs> the prophet Dean Cain. And I actually, I met Dean Cain one time and I asked him, like, what the heck was your inspiration for this episode? Because The Matrix didn't even exist yet. And he said, oh yeah, me and my <laughs> friend were big gamers back then. So we, we wrote this out. I was like, what? um yeah crazy episode he wears a bicycle helmet that he connects into a computer it's so campy it's so crazy love it uh next up we have bob fences who is kind of a joke of uh, bill gates obviously uh he's just this software designer who plays with action figures all the time just really goofy and really silly and then last up of course (laughs) who uh, who else larry smiley uh, the guy with the weather machine, he he has this weird kind of holy kind of cult type thing and he gets phone calls from God and then he gets this weather machine and he comes the closest of any Lois and Clark villain in the series to destroying the world and Superman saves the day, obviously. But like, you know, it's just this throwaway thing. It's just this plot of the week thing. But then you kind of think about it, you're like, no, 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 that guy nearly destroyed the planet you know <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't mention a pretty significant one there that I'm sure the guys will mention and I didn't mention him because the guys will mention him so I'll throw it to you guys now next Matt um, sure so I was going to have Diana Stride as number five too but just to throw someone else in there uh, Bill Bill Church Jr. Bruce Campbell was on the show and, and not on it enough 
but just chewing up scenery. Just Love loved him in this. Um, this is the one where I might ruin a friendship. Uh, I think Spencer yeah. Spencer. I think Spencer rocks. Spencer rocks too. Um, he's he's a head in a Grecian um, uh, wheelchair. Uh, he steers around by throwing his head <laughs> on different pedals. He drinks a martini with a crazy straw. Uh, and he's, he's just the the biggest of of um, scene stealers. I I love him very much. I think it's a very stupid, wonderful character. And the plot is he wants to put he wants to take his head off and put it on Superman's body, and he has a big a painting. Of yes, it. yeah, he's ready to go with the painting. C- C- Craig Craig's face is in his hands right now. He's just so disgusted at this choice. Yeah, I, I don't care. I, I I I like a guy that'll vision board his master plan. Um, Third up, uh, the mm. Newtridge sisters. Fucking Shelley Long, and I'm forgetting the other actress's name right now from Troop Beverly Hills. Mrs. Quick. Spring of the Teenage Witch. They are, they are Mrs. Quick, yes, from, from um, uh, Sabrina. Uh, they're so much fun together. Uh, they get to play like eight different notes of their relationship as, as the power kind of shifts between them at, at a certain point in the episode. I think they're super fun. Um, I hope it's okay to be doing like, Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Couples, you know, of villainy because I've got the Nutrid sisters and next up I've got Tim and, uh, yeah. Erica. Oh Lake? yeah. Jonathan Frakes. Commander Riker. Tim and some, yeah. yeah. Jonathan Frakes yeah. and Jeannie Francis. Yeah. incredible a real life married couple who are clearly having the time of their lives working together uh to try to kill superman um again just like big big rich people yeah they, they've stolen the batmobile they they're just the epitome of what this type of villain on the show would be and i'll be the first to say it top number one maybe goes against the goofy guy's rule i don't know because he's on it a couple times but Tempest. King of there's, the Goofy there's guys. no touching what yeah. Lane I, the, does. again obviously he tops the list you know forever he's he's the I believe most you have him as god level him. yeah 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 Craig well I took Tempest off of my list when you said not somebody who appears a bunch of times so here's my five uh number five is one that Matt already mentioned Spencer Spencer oh wow you're, was- you're one of these people amazing. too amazing ridiculous like he kind of reminds me a little bit of when christopher captain pike is in that episode of star trek yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I, I just the absurdity that episode is absurd. i know i remember lois having some fun lines in that one so he's number five number four is mrs duffy from season's greetings oh what a choice oh, what oh. a choice jefferson's louise Excellent. jefferson as we mm-hmm. know her best but just, I just love, like, at the end when she gives just, like, the hugest smooch yes. to the t- I thought that was fun. Uh, number three is Dan Scardino. Oh, I mean, oh wait, you, stole my, you stole my choice. I didn't even think of him as a great, goofy guy. But he's great, budget, budget, budget Ace Ventura. <laughs> and um, we would call him so many names. We called him Ace Ventura. We called him Plunger Boy, and we called him Peter Brady because he kind of looked like Peter Brady from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and oh, we all hated him so much because he got in the way of Lois and Clark, but that was fun. Number two, I mean, she was ridiculous but very goofy. Myrtle Beach, the wedding destroyer. Oh, wow, <laughs> no, she's so goofy. <laughs> and then my number one goofy character, who had such lines as. Oh, look, hunky, she's blushing. 
would be Mindy Church. Oh yeah. Bill Church. Mindy Church. Yeah. And she was ridiculous. But I mean, we have a lot to talk about. It's one of my favorite episodes. And just her character was ridiculous. I kind of loved her. It's amazing. I can't, I think it was you who said this, Alan, that she is basically the same as the character in Superman 3, uh, Lorelei. Yes. And just like Superman 3, they introduce this idea that she's like a secret genius and that she's pulling the strings, and then they go nowhere with it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Until the um, unaired finale. Ah. <laughs> Stay tuned to this fan fiction that was written 20 years ago. Alan, um, I, I have not, I have nothing really to to add to the conversation. You, you've, you, I think you've all mentioned uh, my picks: up Tempest, Diana Stride. I, I literally remember being out playing with my friends in '94, '95, and realizing that it was five past seven, and I'd missed the start of Lois and Clark, and just racing home. And I remember sitting, and it was the top copy episode, and I remember literally being on the edge of my seat, thinking this was it, he was going to be exposed. Like like it was life or death. I had to get everybody in the house to just shut the hell up. <laughs> um, and I, I think she's a, a fantastic, Raquel Welch, you know, I, I just think she's a, she, she, she's a super villain. Um, uh, Jonathan Frakes, obviously, is the, and, and his wife is the Lakes. Uh, again, Spencer Spencer, I think. Uh, Alan, come on. Yeah, I, I really, if you ask me... To, you're, te- you, you're talking shite. Not at all. If you ask me on the street uh, to think of a Lois and Clark villain, he's one of the first guys who popped Fair into enough. my head. I like The, the episode is ridiculous, <laughs> but that guy is having a lot of fun with yeah. it, and he knew what he was in, and I just, I always enjoy it. Um, we're forgetting, I, I don't know if that's four or five, uh, obviously, um, who, who has, I was going to say uh, Dan Scardino as well, um, but we're all you're all forgetting the one. You're all forgetting the big one. Patrick O'Sullivan. Oh! <laughs> well said. <laughs> Patrick O'Sullivan is the greatest villain in Lois and Clark history. Oh, to, 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 to. oh Lois, you can see Ireland all the way from Metropolis. To, 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 to. to be sure, to be sure. <laughs> I should hate that episode, but I really love it. The fact that Jimmy Olsen... I'm sure, I'm almost sure it was Justin Whelan who said it, that the word Dublin was mentioned in an episode of Lois and Clark blew my mind back then. And uh, yeah, Patrick O'Sullivan's going Mm, on the list. Actually, (laughs) Alan, I'll correct you there. It's Clark, Clark rings Jimmy and said, Jimmy, I need you to pull up a list of all the mental asylums near Dublin. And this is, this is, this is particularly funny. This is particularly funny because there is a mental asylum in Dublin, not 10 minutes from where I grew up. So, And is Patrick O'Sullivan's father in there? Patrick O'Sullivan in theory, you know, like crazy, crazy, crazy that that episode exists. It's a piece of garbage, but it's great. And he puts on that weird The Mask mask at the end. He's got gems in his yeah. eyes and he's shooting these green, mm-hmm. like emerald lasers. Nonsense. Brilliant nonsense. Love it. Why isn't this show popular anymore? I don't understand. Matt, you're coming back on the 17th of March, and we are covering uh, when Irish eyes are killing. <laughs> okay, you have to speak. You bet. Table read that one. Let's go. You have to speak in a, an affected Irish accent as through the lens of an American. <laughs> oh, I feel like that's a hate crime with you guys on the line. <laughs> Excellent. I think that's everybody, is it? None of us mentioned Fathead from the series finale. Oh, my God. Oh. Terrible. Uh, I, I have a theory. I, I have a theory that they wanted to call him Brainiac. 
Okay. And DC Comics said no. <laughs> Interesting. That was the season of just taking names and doing your own shit with them. So that makes, you know, Vixen... Vixen and Deathstroke would agree with this. So so why not just end the series with Brainiac and DC Comics went, no, 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 you're not doing that. Anyway, it's not outside the realms of possibility. Probably isn't true, but that's just the theory I have. Um, will we move on to episodes or moments? I, I was going to say, can we save moments for last? Of course. I, I, just, I like that idea as, 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 a, as a list that we got to pull together. I had more fun making the moments than I did with the, 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 the reason I should explain that. So we have best episodes, but then we have best moments because this show, I think, while not every episode is stellar or five star or whatever, there's just perfect moments kind of sprinkled throughout the entire series. Yes. That make it yes. make it such that you you sort of need to watch every episode because there's at least one moment in every single I, episode. I've said this many times, but it's like even in a bad episode, they're going to have a relationship talk mm. at one point, and that's going to be the best part of the episode. Yeah. And that's where some of those moments come from. Absolutely. Isn't it crazy though that in a Superman show, those are the moments that even us thirty years later still get the most excited about? It's the relationship small moments. It's it's never the saves. I was trying to think of moments, and mm. I was trying to think of like amazing saves in Lois and Clark or amazing Superman moments, and none of them made my my top five moments. None of them. Um, it's it's like whereas if I if I if I discussed maybe the Christopher Reeve movies, there'd be a couple of saves in there, a couple of Superman feats in there. But it's it's always those little personal moments in Lois and Clark, which I think is why it's so great. I agree with you, but. Boy, howdy, could I do top five super saves as well if anybody wants to hear them. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Um, so, Craig, will we, we'll start with you. Um, your, your, your top five episodes, your, your favorite five. So Okay, so we're doing episodes first. Okay, so number yeah. five would be we have a lot to talk about the season three premiere because Lois finally knew and we had such great moments like, that is so unfair. You know I can't fly. And it just was a fun episode <laughs> to see, you know, them navigating this new situation between the two of them while you know we had three members of the church family in the same episode which did that happen again anytime i can't remember that was that was the only one yeah was, that was the only one i think that's that's peter boyle's last episode oh that's a bummer <laughs> um but it just was a fun episode and it was you know also at the time i mean when you're a kid summertime seemed to last forever so waiting from the time that Clark proposed to see a resolution, even though I saw it early, it still felt like forever. So it was like the nice end of that journey. Um, number four, Craig, would be Tempest. Craig, before you move on, I only found out this very, very recently. Peter Boyle was supposed to play Otis in Superman, the movie. Not only was he supposed wow. to play him, he, he filmed scenes. What? Wow. And they, yeah. they recast him late in the day because there was some scheduling issue when they ran over and it was this huge thing and they had to get rid of him and they brought in Ned Beatty. He was supposed to play Otis and it was going to be a much darker Holy role. Holy shit. And it was going to be crazy. Otis, Otis was, he was never meant to be this bumbling goof. He was meant to be this serious, threatening kind of henchman played by Peter And Boyd. apparently this is like common knowledge. It's not some new thing that came out. This was like known out there. Yeah. So there you go. That's cool. It might Another have even been. It might have even been in Ed Gross's book. Actually, apologies. Voices from Krypton. It may have. Even, it may have even been there that I read it. Yeah. So there you go. Another question is that Kay Callan's first movie starred Peter Boyle. Ah. It's called Wow Seventy. So it's all connected. That's right. <laughs> or would be Tempest anyone? Because I love some choice of it all. I actually have a Perry White for Mayor poster that they use. 
show. Mm-hmm. What? Amazing. Where did you get that? A friend who worked on the show gave it to. Wow. I was gonna say our boy's connected over here. He's got <laughs> some good stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just love that episode because I I love the I am Superman REM sequence. I know it was like a cover of it. Hmm. I hate the music replacement that they have on streaming now for that scene because it kind of takes you out of the moment because. I am Superman was so perfect for that. So I love that. I hated Terry's hair in that episode, but <laughs> top five. Number three is the pilot, which I believe I've said to you guys before might be my favorite Superman movie. Yeah. Because yes, it's such a good origin story in its own way. And, you know, you just get, and there's so much promise to it, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, where can I find you? I'll be around. Oh. Clark, where have you been? Around. You know, you have those moments. Mm-hmm. Clark does the callback to Lex. Like, if you ever need to find me, all you need to do is look up. It I just, love that line. Up. Yeah, it just sets up the entire series in such a great way. Number two is Tempest Fugitive. I remember seeing the trailer for that. I was like, Lois is going to find out and then watching it and... <laughs> thought tempest was the funniest thing ever i love tempest so that's number two number one i'm kind of cheating because it's a two-parter barbarian barbarians at the planet in the house of luther Great choice excellent i was interesting edge of my seat that whole time and you know just <laughs> seeing everything come together and look like it's gonna just completely go to crap everybody is despondent and here's lois about to marry lex luther and you have that great cliffhanger of clark screaming at the north pole uh i think it was the north pole somewhere somewhere cold yeah i just love that and it's funny because when i watched that i thought i was watching the final episode of the series wow because i yeah if it was mm. at that time so it really was a big deal and i remember being shocked when lex jumped from the, his tower i was like top of the world yeah, that i was like wait did they just kill lex luther you know it just like shocked me i was so anyway i loved it need, needless to say so that's my top five hopefully it's okay including the two-parter is number one yeah, excellent choice excellent choices matt um i will say craig i think you just inspired my rewatch this weekend because i knew i was gonna i was gonna want to watch something that came up to them and i'm like oh i think it's the end of season one now so thank you um i want to be clear that I agree with you completely, Craig, that the pilot is my favorite Superman movie. I took it out of the running for this because it didn't feel fair. It's a 90-minute pilot mm-hmm. with, with a much bigger budget. I was just like, it is its own world to me, and I love it so much. But with that in mind, Green Green Glow, Green Green Glow of Home, uh, I think is a wonderful episode. The relationship stuff, like seeing Lois meet the Kents and just get that other side of him and they're still kind of like they're they're friendly but they're a little contentious still at that time and just to uh, there's there's parts of like early Lois where she is so defensive and she's been on her own for so long that it is fun to take her down a little bit and that's a good episode where they do it well without making her a bitch or catty or whatever like you know she's she's just understandably what she is in that episode and I think they do a good job of bringing her into the Ken's life and being like (laughs) You can chill, like put your guns down where you're going to be fine here. And I love what they do there. Um, the night before Miximus is one of my most rewatched episodes. Uh, bizarre premise. I can't believe that they it's one of those like 90s things where it's like, yeah, the character doesn't look like the character. But for some reason, it still kind of works as the character with with uh, Mr. Mixius because like 
Um, and I think just the the idea of the the time loop works really well in that episode. I think all of them acted very well too. Um, don't tug on Superman's cape is number three for me. I, again, I love the lakes, and I could watch the scenes of uh, Lois and Clark and Superman in their little jail cells, just trying to comfort each other and being so in love, but also being in their dumb little traps forever. Um, number two for me is Ultra Woman. I rewatch it all the time, too. I think it's a great, again, tropey thing where, of course, you want to do the power reversal and give her the powers at one point. But to see her truly struggle with the stuff that he is silently struggling with all the time is so wonderful to me. And it, it is truly, I joked about this on my podcast, but it is the first time that 10-year-old Matt went like, oh, a girl can propose to someone? <laughs> you know, like, so... For what that's worth, that is what it is. And then number one, probably the most rewatched episode of television in my entire life is Tempest Fugitive. We've talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about it on my podcast many times. It is one of my favorite Superman stories because it shows you why Superman is stupid and why none of that matters because it's an awesome story. Excellent choices, man. Excellent. Hey, Alan, how about you? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm going to reiterate a lot of what, what you guys have said. I'm going to throw in a few more. Um, so at number five, I'm going to say Honeymoon in Metropolis. Oh, excellent choice, man. Oh, yeah. good call. I, I've always loved... Shit, that's on the list now, too. It's funny. The chemistry is off the wall. You know, the the, the real kind of moonlighting scenes. Uh, yeah. I just... I, I love it from top to bottom. It's one of my favorite... Not only my favorite episodes of season one, my favorite episodes of the entire yeah. series. I, I, I really, really love it. Um, after that, I really enjoy All Shook Up. Another season one. Another great one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously based on the, the Panic in the Sky story and the George Reeves um, did a version of it as well. But And again, the Superboy re- episode. <laughs> and the Superboy episode, um, as we've yeah, discussed in a so. previous episode of All-Star Superpod. Um, but yeah, it's it's... It's just it's one of those episodes I go back to regularly. You know, Jonathan Kent hitting him with the baseball bat always makes me laugh, <laughs> and it's just a it's just a great episode. Learning Clark remembering why, you know, he is Superman. I I just think it's it's amazing. Um, Tempest Fugitive, Tempest Fugitive. Obviously, we spoke. I've spoken on Math Podcast about that. It's look, it's it's going to make everybody's top list. I think it's you know it's it's one of the all time greats. Green Green Glow of Home, Lois going to Smallville. You know, interacting with the Kents, you can literally see her de-stressing the more time she spends. You mm. know, she she hates the idea of the country and she's always putting Smallville down. And then you can see her lighting up and you can see her take the teddy instead of the Superman and buying the floral dress and all that kind of stuff. And one of my favorite scenes is when she uh, when she pat- patronizes Martha Kent about the fax machine. Yes. <laughs> I love so that. Good. I love that scene. <laughs> It's like, no, honey, um, I, I just didn't know. I just wanted to make sure there was paper in it or something. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Um, and I, that was, is it also like, why wouldn't you use an email or something? Like, like, I forget what the line is. It's, it's great. It's great. It's, it always makes me laugh. And then um, I, I did include the pilot because I just think it's, it's so strong. I have such a fond memory of sitting there with my father and watching it. And I, I explained to you, Matt, the first time I, I was on your show, um, that you know, I found out that like I, I only ever really had the four uh, films, and to find out that there was basically going to be in my my eyes a film every week, and the excitement of sitting down knowing I was going to see another Superman that night, and watching it with my dad, and just absolutely mm-hmm. loving it, and uh, yeah, it has to make my top five. So yeah, those are mine. Amazing, amazing. Um, okay, cool. So only one of my top five has not been mentioned yet it's my number five on my list 
The Source. The Source. Oh, good episode. The the Peter Scolari one from season two. Totally run of the mill. Just, you know, adventure of the week. It doesn't really progress the season arc at all or the relationships between the characters. It's just a really solid kind of meat and potatoes episode of Lois and Clark. A lot of journalism in it, which I always love. Um, it's a it's a really strong episode for Lois and Clark. Uh, but I think most importantly, this is a Superman podcast. It's a kick-ass Superman episode. <laughs> wall to wall. There's so many cool super saves in it, ending with a flipping phenomenal... The, the, there's a scene, right, they're, they're trapped in traffic. Uh, a policeman comes up to the car and says, sorry, miss, you'll need to go another way. There's a problem with the train. We can't let traffic through or something like that. And Clark just turns to them and he goes, uh, he, ju- he clambers out of the car, closes the door, turns to them and goes, uh, I, I'm going to see if I can um, see if there's something I could do about the switches. Maybe they can be short circuited. And then immediately, and my dick is hard. Like, and he, he runs off. It's, it's just, and then it immediately cuts to this, like, for me, the second best Superman shirt rip of all time. Dean Kane running along the back lot jumps over this uh the, the whatever you call it traffic barrier police barricade uh, yeah the irish flag is distantly on the left side of the frame you can see it there grabs open the shirt incredible <laughs> saves the train it's literally better than a superman movie with the same scene superman 4 it's just you know it's a perfectly meat and potatoes episode nothing really crazy amazing happens in it i just it's it's the kind of episode that makes me realize how exciting it was tuning in as a child every week and what I looked forward to about the show. And all the characters are in top form. Great Perry White stuff. Great Jimmy stuff. Great Lowe stuff. Great Clark stuff. Great Superman stuff. Great stuff from Jonathan and Martha. Peter Scolari. May God rest his soul. Great, you know, special guest star. Yeah. Love the source. Great episode. Um, Other four. Very Merry Miximus. Uh, this is one that I didn't really remember very well when I was a kid. Uh, watched it when I was reviewing for the Superman homepage. Expecting it to be really, really bad. And I came away going, oh, my God, that was like a five star Superman story. Mm-hmm. That scene at the very, very end where Mixes Pillick is like, yeah, there's no way you can win. And you might as well just give up now. Everybody's going to die. I've won. Just give up. And he says, yeah, you're probably right. And that's why I'm never going to give up ever. And he just turns to him and looks at him and says, you know, this is I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep fighting you because there will always be an ounce of hope. And as long as that's there, I'll keep fighting. And just like. Oh, so good. So, so good. <laughs> we've we've mentioned all of our problems with the man in the past. You cannot tell me that that is not a great Superman performance in that episode. Incredible. Mm. Yeah. Um, all shook up. Just what an incredible episode. Uh, we, we talked enough about it in our own episode. I just think it's it's just this perfect encapsulation of all the characters in the show. Why he's Superman, why he became Superman, and why Lois is so important in his life. She's like the crucial element that like snaps him back into you know, into life. Hmm. Uh, and, and he saves the world. It's the first time in the show he saves the world. Love it. Such a good episode. Even if, you, you know, it, it's one of those episodes where even if you don't like the rest of the show, you know, it's just this perfect Superman story. Tempest Fugitive. Oh, oh my God. We'll, we'll talk about it again. It's just, it's just a masterpiece. And then finally, the pilot. Um, yeah. So look, the pilot is my second favorite Superman movie ever. It's better than Superman 2. It's better than any of the modern stuff. It's it's only marginally inferior in my eyes to Superman the movie, um, purely because of the cinematic stuff and Christopher Reeve's performance. I think the the only yeah, things about that movie fair. that are better. 
But if I can drop my all-star exclusive hot take right here, right now, I think the pilot of Lois and Clark has the best script of any Superman movie ever made. Mm. So I, I, I yeah. think the actual script, the story, like the plot is low key. You know, it like, you know, it's, it's, it's a smaller story, but it's so focused. The characters are so well drawn and it's the perfect invitation into the world of Superman. They've never done it better before or since. It's best script of a Superman movie ever made. That's where I'm at. One more thing, honorable mention, House of Luther. Uh, I, it broke my heart not putting that on this list. Incredible episode. And seconds, the one <laughs> you mentioned earlier on, Craig, where uh, Lex and Superman have that tete-a-tete where they're looking at each other and it's lit really, really well. And it's just, it's, it's, it's literally like Batman and the Joker in The Dark Knight. It's an incredible scene. And it ends <laughs> with Lex saying, this means war! Incredible war. stuff. Um, so we, we've left the best for last. Craig, will you um, speak to us about your favorite uh, moments from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman? Okay, my fifth one is kind of silly and might not be memorable to everyone, but it was the moment that finally made me accept Justin Whalen as Jimmy Olsen. Ooh, okay. <laughs> when he and Lois are tied to that pole and he's like, <laughs> and you took my hand and said, Jimmy, I can make a man of you. And I thought it was hilarious. So that's on my top five. Uh, number four is the beginning of We Have a Lot to Talk About, where she's like, who's asking, Clark or Superman? Which was not how season two ended, but we'll just pretend that we don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> number three is the whole Tempest monologue that ends with, hello, duh, Clark Kent is Superman. Just because, I mean, I know it's kind of mean to see Lois kind of dragged for not realizing, but it was so, like... It's probably some, something people who had loved Superman for 60 years or whatever at that point had probably been thinking. So it's just Tempest said it out loud. Yeah. Uh, number two is the end of Barbarians of the Planet when Clark goes to the North Pole and screams. Excellent. To see what was next. And the first is a romantic moment. It is Clark and Lois by the tree at the end of Season's Greetings, which is an episode I watch every holiday season. Awesome. <laughs> Matt, what about you? Um, so this this was really hard for me, but it was so much fun. Um, for me, number five is uh, from Home is Where the Hurt Is. They both wake up. He's, he's been poisoned with kryptonite. He's, he's not doing well. And when, when he's been treated, finally, they both, like, she wakes up and he says, I think, Lois... And she says Clark and he and she wakes up and realizes like, oh, he's better. Like, like, call them like we have to get over there and like, fuck Guardian Angel Mike from the wedding <laughs> episode. I can't stand that shit. But this is the type of kind of like magical realism, spiritual connection, -y, like nebulous stuff that I really get into with the two of them. I just think that's a lovely moment. Um, second, I've got from uh, Bolt of Blue or Bolt from the Blue, whatever the, the Leslie Jordan is a superhero episode. Um, there's a great conversation between Superman and Lois uh, where they're kind of fighting about like Superman saying like, please bury this story, basically. Like, don't tell people that my powers can get stolen or transferred or whatever. And her whole thing is like, you already asked me to, I already kept kryptonite out of the paper for you. And this is news. Like we're, we're uh, I don't think I should draw the line here. And he's kind of asking her to. And like, I just like, that is again, for me with DC stuff, don't take their world seriously. Let big let let lightning transfer his yeah. powers. Yeah. But take the characters seriously when when you have to. And that is like the epitome of that for me. Um, also the epitome of that for me. In um, we have a lot to talk about. 
Martha coming to I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it. Martha coming to Lois oh. and talking to her after she finally knows yeah. it. There's this beautiful Kay Callan moment where she she gets a little choked up and she's just like, I've just never been able to talk to another woman about my boy. Yes. And like that, that like that this stupid show can pull off moments like that is why we're here talking about it. Like that is magic yeah. to me. Also in that episode, my other moment, Lois's angry speech after she finds out like she starts it with the like i'm not i'm not upset i'm not i'm hurt i am hurt and then like goes on to like i totally get it and all makes sense clark but you know what i am mad i am mad clark i'm so mad. like how could you do this to me like th there's this this escalation to her it is it is so emotionally truthful and so funny at the same time i think i, I terry should have gotten an emmy for that it's just amazing and then a little more simply, my final moment is the two of them like finally making up for good in uh, Just Say yes. Noah when they're they're fighting and it just ends with uh, her blurting out because I'm completely in love with you. And then there's basically a kiss. And that is that is the end of the tension in their relationship. Will they get married? Will they not? You know, like from then on. For all it's worth, though, I would have loved them dating longer and some plot differences. I like that as soon as they just kind of admit that to each other, they are solid from then on out. So those are my picks. Great choices. Um, Rob, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, so my, I, I feel like my list has actually changed a little bit in the time we've been talking, okay? So <laughs> top five. Uh, number five, I, this has moved down the list a little bit now. Uh, I've written down top of the world, okay? But this is just... <laughs> it's actually supposed to encapsulate the the speech Lex gives to Lois about he's, how he's actually a good man who's misunderstood. And meanwhile, we see all these flashbacks to his various crimes over the past two episodes. Just, I mean, you know, you, you can say it's a little bit soap opera. It's a little bit kind of cliche or whatever. It just, just really, really lovely encapsulation of how evil just such a puppet master he was in in the series mm. and he's he's the most comic accurate lex Luthor ever i don't think anybody can argue with that and i feel like this is the episode where it's just so clear how good he is and and that's that's the moment where it's all just kind of laid out that no that this guy's just he's just lying to everybody you know and it's just done so so well really really love that um next on the list i have uh superman facing lord nor I kind of went on a big thing on your show about this, Matt, that for me, that's like the culmination of Clark's arc in the entire series. It's the moment where he, like, he, you know, up until that point, he's kind of just pretending to be this character that he's created in his head. That's the moment that he actually becomes Superman because he's he's married his Kryptonian heritage with, you know, his love of, of Earth and his tradition of, you know, growing up on Earth and everything else. He's marrying the two together and he's fighting for his people. And he says... You know, Lord Norris says, oh, and who are you fighting for? And he says, I am fighting for my people. Again, you know, we can say all we want about Dean Cain. He's amazing in that moment, I think. Um, <clears throat> so that that's two. Uh, next, I have uh, the newsroom scene in the pilot. Uh, again, I just think it's an incredible scene. Like Superman flies. Uh, we, we have Perry, you know, saying, oh, whoever thought of this hoax is uh, the greatest uh you know, the, 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 the greatest hoax of all time or whatever. And then Superman flies in. We get the first great shades of Elvis. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you know, he flies in. Lois talks to him. Oh, I, I assume I have the exclusive. Someone says, oh, I can't believe. Or Kat says, oh, I can't believe it. 
And someone says, what, a man who flies? And she says, no, Lois Lane finally, literally swept off her feet. Too bad he's an alien. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, just and, and then he flies out again. Lois says, oh, you know, how will I find you? I'll be around. And then it ends with Jimmy saying, real smooth. It's just a perfect, perfect Superman scene. Again, best, best Superman movie script ever. Um, number two then is Perry's story about going to see Elvis. Uh, <laughs> oh, excellent choice. I just, I just like what, like literally, what other super superhero show would do such a scene? Like just this <laughs> take the two time minute for this. long scene of Perry regaling jimmy with the time he last saw elvis in the 70s and he looked like a cross but i'm not i'm not gonna do the accent again but he looked like a cross between an ice cream salesman and a neon sign and he goes on about how horrible and how terrible and how it broke his heart to see him looking like this and then jimmy says oh it must have been pretty hard jimmy why it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Find me a superhero show that, or a superhero movie, anything. They'll never do that again. We'll never have something as magical as that ever again. Just incredible. A, a piece of cinema, that scene. I love it so much. Uh, n- number one, H.G. <laughs> Wells talking about timeless love. It's, it's one of the most iconic mm. Superman moments of all time. And it's the reason this is the best Superman show ever. Uh, I don't need to go into too much detail. If you want to hear me do that whole speech, you can listen to Matt's episode where we did a table read of it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 just a magical moment. Uh, so that's number one for me. Excellent. I, I'm just really annoyed that I never thought of the Perry White Elvis speech. That is that is one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the entire series. Um, for me, yeah, look, uh, I have the list. A lot of them have been mentioned already. You know, the galactically stupid line yes. is is mm-hmm. will always be remembered. I remember laughing my head off at it um, again at the edge of my seat when I was a kid. Um, because I thought this was it, you know, she was going to, she learned a little, you know, I was so naive, I didn't think they were going to reverse time and all that kind of stuff at the end, and I, I really thought this was it, and um, I was so excited for it, and it's such a great delivery by uh, Lane Davies, and equal to that, the, you know, the Just Look Up scene, you know, you know, yep. you, in, in, mm-hmm. in the pilot episode, you have John Shea explaining to Lois, and Clark on the balcony of his uh, of his tower that what he loves about it is that everybody has to look up and Clark remembers that and, and throws it back at him later on at the at the end of the episode love that um I mentioned earlier one of my favorite um, sequences is, is Lois just kind of being herself uh, at the small at the Smallville fair in Green mm-hmm. Green Glove home and just thawing and enjoying herself and enjoying being with Clark and you can really see whether she realizes it there or not that's you know they're starting to fall in love. You can see it. You know it's it's yeah. it's magical. I love that. Um, Clark Kent and Jonathan on the porch in oh, yeah. the pilot. Ah, oh. I love that scene. <laughs> uh, you know you've got the father who, impatient. The the father the father the father who has uh, you know adopted the son and has tried to protect him and you know keep him safe from the world and the son is pulling away to. You know, follow his dreams and go to the big city and the father can't understand you know the, the the lure of the big city um and you know you can tell that they love each other and it's just this beautiful moment between father and son and it, it's always it's always stayed with me i think that's beautiful yeah um good for you kit perry white yes the uh, singing fish 
I love that oh, scene. Yeah. You know, it's I don't don't ask me which episode it is, but basically Perry White is putting Jimmy through the ringer and he is making do all these inane tasks and Jimmy is frustrated and he spends the entire episode complaining to Lois and Clark about it and you know Clark is telling Jimmy he should go and talk to Perry about it and you know Jimmy won't do it and then at the end he goes in and he dumps the uh, the singing trout into the bin and walks out the door and Perry just says good for you kid and I was like yeah that's that's Perry White that's that's Perry right there <laughs> and the final one my 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 one of my favorite um moments of the entire show and I honestly don't know why I think I've spoke about it on your um, podcast Matt is there's not even any speaking in it it is a scene where it's it's during the dance Gardino arc <clears throat> where Lois and Clark can't sleep and there's a music montage and it's Eric Clapton's old love. Clark goes flying to the city at night and Lois can't sleep and she goes for a walk and then Clark sees Dan, Lois uh, come back to the apartment and she goes in with Dan Scardino. And there's, I just always, number one, it introduced me to Eric Clapton as a kid, uh, which introduced <laughs> me to blues music. But even now I listen to that song regularly and it, there was just something real about that as a kid watching it that you know, he's Superman, he's got superpowers, he can do whatever he wants. And yet, you know, what does he do when he's upset and he can't sleep at 3, 3 a.m.? You know, he puts on the suit and he flies around Metropolis. And that has just always stuck me. I regularly watch that scene on YouTube for some reason. I just love I, I remember, yeah, I remember so. when that aired, Alan, and I, that, that's the scene that really sticks out with me. And he smashes the phone. The phone, yeah. yeah. Great, great, yeah. great. I, I, just always, that always. wine, wine, me. wine? Possibly. Yeah, I think. Possibly. I, I but yeah, also a uh, great moment. I assume Axis removed the Eric Clapton song and replaced it with something terrible. <laughs> so, folks, will we maybe just speak for a moment about our final thoughts? Any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode, um, Craig? It just blows my mind that it has been so long. And even though it's been so long, there are certain memories of watching the show and discussing it with other fans back in the day that still stick with me to this day. And I mean, the show was very special to me also because I used to watch it every week with my father and he actually passed away the week the show was canceled. Oh, I'm sorry. To hear that. I was kind of relieved that I didn't have to watch the show without him. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it was like our thing to do every week. And, but I mean, that speaks to what the show was to a lot of people, a lot of families, would watch the show together because there was something for everyone, hopefully. But um, as you guys have said, the you know the pilot is one of the best Superman movies ever made, and the interpretations of the characters were so strong. And like I loved having this discussion and being reminded of some of these scenes and these moments, like you know, especially the early Perry and Jimmy stuff, and even. You know, when Justin Whalen came on as Jimmy, like that part where he's like, it's like we're supporting characters in a TV show about that. <laughs> <laughs> that always made me laugh. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a special show. I wish more people would go back and just give it a watch and not think about the person who starred in it and just enjoy. I think they'd be in for a treat. I mean, and there's so many people who were like, already famous or later famous like you get leslie jordan in two different episodes oh. one of hmm. dean kane in the balls i <laughs> um you know so and like you know terry having all of her later success i think 
it's it's a great show and it's a fun interpretation and i'm very grateful we got four seasons of it so that's where i'm gonna leave it <laughs> beautifully said beautifully said thank you craig uh I, I i don't really have much to add just that this this is my favorite version of superman uh i know nostalgia plays a part in all these things i do feel like i've gone back and god knows we've reassessed a lot of older versions of superman that we grew up with this is just the one I just keep coming back to. And I think a big part of that for me is even even when the plots don't work as much as we might want them to or the villains of the week or the stories or whatever it is, I think the characterizations of all the main characters in this show will always just be the definitive versions for me. And I include Clark Kent and Superman in that. I think this is the blueprint for the modern version that we just have never really gotten in the movies. And I think... I said this when I was on Matt's show, like, if you're looking for the way to modernize Superman, here it is. Like, just do it like that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how you make him a normal guy, a relatable guy, you know, a a hero that we could be, we could hang out with, we could understand, you know. Um, So, while I think the post-crisis comics, they told all these amazing stories and they did this amazing thing and they had this interlocking, interwoven universe of, of stories for 20 years or whatever... I, I do think the characterizations in the Lois and Clark show were even better again. And that's why I just keep coming back to it after all these years. It's the version that introduced me to the character. And it's to me, it's the best version ever. Um, yeah, look, I just I echo all of that. It, um, Christopher Reeve will always be my Superman, but Lois and Clark will always be my Superman universe. Yeah, um, It'll be my mm-hmm. Perry White. It'll be my Jimmy Olsen. It'll be my Lois Lane. Um, I return to it regularly. Um, it has, you know, shaped me in ways that I probably will never fully comprehend. And it sounds silly to say something like that about a show that aired from 93 to 97. Um, and that, like you said, Rob, was very silly at times, but it, it is the truth, you know. And like you said, Matt, earlier, it's a comfort blanket. I go back to it regularly um, when I just need that, especially, again, not to harp on about my line of work, but in my line of work, sometimes I come home at 2 or 3 a.m., and I want to feel like I'm 14 or 13 or 12 and I'm in Metropolis and everything's fine because Superman is there. Um, and yeah, it's just, I honestly believe it's the best live action iteration of these characters. And I am saddened at the fact that it's not remembered as highly as I think it should. Um, and I hope that at some point there is a bit of a resurgence and um, whether that will happen or not, I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's and look, and later on in life, it's gifted me a lot. Matt, coming on your podcast, I, I told you that before. I listen to your podcast regularly when my wife and I were going through IVF treatment back kind of 2016, 2017. And uh, I ended up meeting you through coming on the podcast. And then me and Rob ended up starting All Star Superfan as a result of that. Um, so like 30 years later, it's still giving things to me. And um, I, I'll always be grateful for that. Um, Matt, what about you? Uh, um that 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 was lovely everything all you guys said really um i i don't have too much profound to add to that it it is through the podcast has given me like i said earlier so many friendships um and so many wonderful experiences that i never would have guessed i would have as as a 10 year old kid watching the show um i i too th- wish it was wish it was more beloved wish it was more well known especially amongst the the kind of whatever genre superhero fan community and whatnot. But I think the the thing that it has going for it most really, or that, that gives me hope is that it is about 
these characters that are not going yeah. anywhere that have been around for 80 plus years and are just going to keep going like so much of television is so quickly forgotten and you know like the the shows that we all know from the past are are the smallest uh, fraction of the television that was produced this show will always be part of the conversation because it is about this char- these characters and because of that there will always be people finding it maybe not as many as we want maybe more so who knows what the future is for this show but i'm i'm grateful to the fact that this show that i love with these characters that i love are also still so culturally relevant and did it so well that it it deserves its place in history alongside of all those other iterations that we know too so there you go i and and why i will always say yes to things like this even after doing a (laughs) six-year long podcast because i love this show and it is always a pleasure to sit here and go like oh yeah that was a great moment in that episode too wasn't it so thank you guys so much for for having us no problem rob is there anything else you'd like to say before we we wrap up yeah, just before we wrap up, we are going to do a second uh, Lois and Clark themed episode, uh, which I think we're going to drop a week after this one with our friends uh, Stuart Mulrain and Daniela Rod. So they're going to come on. Hell yeah. They're going to come on and give us, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about being fans of this show and Superman in general outside the United States because it's it's a huge thing and it's not something you hear about a lot. Uh, we're really, really excited to finally have Daniela on the show. Stuart was on once before talking about Steel, so stay tuned for that. We're, we're going to talk a lot about kind of the the merchandise for the show that was only available outside the US and a lot of that other stuff and some of the promotional material as well. And we have a lot of exclusive stuff that was sent in to us by one of our fans. Uh, Mark Witherspoon sent us in a whole load of uh, exclusive UK footage that uh, we're going to be talking a lot about. Matt, I don't think you've even seen this yet. So <laughs> I've never been more excited in my life. Yeah. I can't wait to live. First of all, great guests. B, I want to see all of this. There we go. So stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, as Alan said, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Super Fan. You can find us on Twitter at All Star Super Pod. And please send us your best Lane Smith impressions uh, in a voice note or or if you just want to write a, a story worthy of the Daily Planet to allstarsuperpod at gmail.com um, I'd also like to mention before we finish that we have a Facebook group um, Lois and Clark The Legacy Facebook group if anybody wants to join it anybody who listens to the episode um, we chat about the show and you know um, uh, spot actors and other things and talk about that and loads mm-hmm. of different loads of different topics so uh, if you if you're a fan of the show or you like this episode uh, check us out we're all we're all there last thing sorry i'm gonna drop this in much earlier guys <laughs> if you like lois and clark my adventures with superman are you watching it absolutely loving it i haven't seen it yet yep. i haven't i don't have a vpn so i haven't seen it yet <laughs> for a younger audience but totally scratches the edge it, it, it yep. is literally lois and clark the animated series isn't it yeah yeah very much so it's really fun I feel like this is like one of the first times since Lois and Clark that Lois was the peripheral character. I assume that the my and my adventures with Superman is Lois's adventures with Superman. But also this right. is the first time I feel in any Superman media since Lois and Clark where Jimmy is given a prominent role. Oh, my you know? goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I was like, finally, they're doing something with Jimmy. It's amazing. 
Yeah, but the show <laughs> is just fantastic in this show. And I, I feel like this Lois has, uh, I mean, she's obviously younger, but she has that spark and that spunk that Terry's Lois had that you could imagine Terry possibly being like when she was younger. The Terry Lois, I mean. Absolutely. Uh, just, you know, from hearing Matt so many times going, you know, I wish they could spend more time where it's just them dating and, and having fun and she knows he's Superman. That's what this show is. <laughs> like, or at least at mm-hmm. this point, in a, sorry, spoiler warning, Alan, uh, at this point in the series, you know, that they're kind of just doing that. And it's it's great fun. And it's a very similar Clark Kent Superman characterization. Absolutely love the show. Cannot recommend it enough. And it, 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 it you know, it, it they're doing different things with it. It's very anime inspired, like in a good way, like just top to bottom. Absolutely love that show. So if you'd like Lois and Clark, you will love my adventures with Superman. Excellent. Excellent. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Matt, will you do us the honor of taking us out? Happily for from all of us in 90s Metropolis with all the love and Kryptonian power in our heart, we say fuck off, everybody. Judas Priest! (laughs) Excellent. Take care. Bye-bye.